Don't call it a comeback. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. He does have a tricky body. Oh, he does. Okay. He doesn't look like, okay, look at if But that guy's walking down the street. You have no idea who he is. I don't know if you're saying, yeah, he's the best quarterback in the world. This is the Press Box. So we, our mean, tricky body list is James Harden and Patrick Mahomes. And yeah. now Patrick Mahomes runs kind of funny. With Graney and Bischoff. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Turvel Beck. Turvel Beck's body is not tricky. We know exactly what Turvel Beck's body is. It is not tricky in any way. Not at all. That is a complete lie. Stop trying to put Turvel Beck in that category. On ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, it's about tricky bodies and bubble butts here in the press box. You're not going to get that action anywhere else. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Big show ahead. Lots to talk about. Might as well start with the Kings. The first bite. Did the Golden Knights end the Kings' playoff hopes? I can't say that yet. Uh, <laughs> it's a for... It's a chance for chance for a rebound here. Got it. Got him again tomorrow night to pick up two more points. So uh, uh, I'm not going to say yet. I'm worried, but uh, yeah, I, I might be a tad concerned in the back of my mind. And and still, veteran squad, Tyler, and uh, good goalie, and uh, you know, not you never say never. You're not worried. How are you not worried yet? Uh, like I said, there's guys on that team with rings. They know how to rally. There's, Come on, they haven't hey. done that in like. Four years. <laughs> That's that. You know they're due. They're due. The St. Louis Blues once went from the worst team in hockey to the best team in hockey. So you know the Kings. Uh, yeah, I don't believe it either. And the St. Yeah. Louis Blues are the only ones keeping us alive. They're the, they're yeah. they're they've uh, fallen off. So they're they're the kind of only ones in the four hole. Which is if you're Arizona and the Kings, you're looking up saying, "Well, those guys aren't very good. We can catch them." Yes, they continue to lose to give you at least a little bit yes. of hope. But um, absolutely, you might you might want to pack it in because uh, I oh, haven't found any I haven't found any sites that do playoff odds that give you higher than a twenty five percent chance. I mean, there's a chance twenty five percent. It's better than Buffalo. Well, we're gonna I'm gonna get a sh- I'm gonna get a shirt made. It's always better than Buffalo. So your prediction before the season started was that the Kings will make the playoffs, and now yes. you reverted to they're better than Buffalo. Well, no, I'm not going to go back on the playoff one. I won't go back in there till they're eliminated, and then I'll say, you know what? Uh, I'll come up with the reasons of why they didn't make, and I'll make a bunch of excuses. Um, that's you know, that's that's what you do around here. You know, I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to probably be wrong, and I'll make excuses on it. But uh, obviously, everyone's better in Buffalo. You, I, Jared, and a few guys uh, from Press Row would be better in Buffalo right now. Uh, the Sabres last night pulled off uh, an incredible loss where yes. they led the Flyers 3 to nothing. Cody Eakin scored. Cody Eakin oh. scored one of those three goals to take a 3 nothing lead. They lost anyway 4-3 to in overtime to the Flyers, and the Sabres have now lost 18 straight games. Oh, God. And in hockey, and especially since you know, the condensed schedule... Well, it's such a condensed schedule, which means they're playing a ton. Like, there's not even – I don't know if that's good or bad. Like, if it's good because you don't have to think about it very much, you just go on to the next one, or just – it just must wear on you. Just, you know, every other night, every other night, going back in that locker room after a loss. I mean, that's – that is brutal. And last night was, like you said, 
I don't look, I'm not going to pretend to know all the 18, but I don't know if there were many within the 18 that are worse than that when you're up three and you still lose to a team like the Flyers. I mean, you weren't playing Tampa Bay. No, no, they weren't. Yeah, playing a bad team, you're up three nothing, yeah. and you blow it. And what's even more amazing in the in the sport of hockey, where the game itself like legislates parity because it's so damn hard to score, but then sometimes you just score by accidentally hitting it in with your back or something stupid yeah. like that. In this 18 game losing streak, the Sabers have only lost six times by one goal. Like they're getting blown out in the majority of these games. They very rarely are even losing close games anymore because normally close hockey games eh it goes one way or the other but they six times in 18 have they even lost by a single goal like they're 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 terrible they're not even close in these games and Cody Eakin didn't make the difference we thought now the Kings are not horrible (laughs) oh he made the difference we thought he made the difference we thought they're the worst team in the league they play uh Kings played a good team last night who were good at home obviously (sighs) and uh Get him again tomorrow night. And, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I, I'm a little taken aback that my prediction is uh, not looking good right now. But, um, you know, I mean, good, good for the Golden Knights. What is the six straight now at home? Is that what it is? is I think it's six straight mm-hmm. at home. And Pete DeBoer cracks the joke afterwards. Imagine if we would have fans in here the whole year. Uh, they've only, I think, lost two at home. So um, good for VGK. So what I wanted to talk about with the Golden Knights game last night is the depth that we've been talking about, about the last couple of weeks because the Golden Knights got a goal from Tomas Nosek on the fourth line. Uh, Nick Hagen, Alec Martinez scored as defenseman. But probably more importantly, the third line, Cody Glass gets put back into the lineup. And Alex Tuck, Cody Glass, and Keegan Colasar had the best Corsi and best expected goals of any line in the game last night. They were it was 75% Corsi, it was 99% expected goals. They created more offense than any line last night, and they allowed fewer chances than any line last night. And that's the type of performance from a third line, plus throwing the no-ship goal in the fourth line, that you would like to see from the Golden Knights because that bottom six is a question mark about is it's good enough. But my question to you is, are like, do you buy into the fact that the third and fourth lines played better, looked better, and the Golden Knights don't need to make a change? Or... Do you just look at that and say, well, they did it against L.A.? They haven't really shown they can do it consistently against a, an actual playoff team. Yeah, I don't buy into the fact that they shouldn't make a move and everything is okay, especially with the fourth line. But I will say a couple more games like this, they will talk themselves and do that they're okay. So <laughs> I thought, you know, I mean, I thought Dave Chain asked a really good question to Bore yesterday about Petrangelo where – it's like he said, you know, is he going to be like your acquisition? Because you're going to get him back, and how much will that add? And I know that's not depth on the bottom on the uh, on the six on the bottom six, but you know, I just think I'm going to be surprised with their cap situation. They'd have to move someone out if you get two or three more games like this, where the third and fourth lines are the ones doing something. I think they will talk themselves into it. Look, it's probably easy to do given their record and how good they've been. I mean, it's not like they're a borderline playoff team. Like, we have to make a move. There's no way we can go with this and make a deep run. For the most part, they probably can talk themselves into, given the goalie situation and what they've done, that they don't need to make a move. I My point is, and what you and I have made this point, that's fine. But when you and if you get to the four and you're playing a team like Tampa Bay, you haven't played before, you're playing uh, Washington or one of the Canadian teams you haven't played before, that's when it could show. And by then, 
it could be too late, right? I mean, if you get to that point, it could be a little too late. Now you might win it, you might win it all, but there's also a chance, I believe, that they'll look back maybe if they get to the four and say, Ugh, we might have had to do something. Yeah, I, I think that's a there's a good chance that happens to somebody in the NHL this year. That yes, they just yes. you just simply don't have enough information about how your team looks against the rest yeah. of the league. And somebody in that final four is gonna look around and say, Well, we didn't get to play yeah. Colorado or Vegas or Tampa or Toronto this season. We didn't know right. that was gonna be a horrific matchup for us, and we might right. have done something differently had we gotten to see that at some point in the regular season. But I'll from the Golden Knights perspective, I've said it before, the best chance for this team to win the Stanley Cup is still to trade a goalie. Like that's still like their best chance to have a playoff roster that can win the Stanley Cup is to trade one of the two goalies for uh, and, and get back in some way a skater that helps the bottom six, right? Or two, because Flurry makes a lot of money and you might be able to get two for $7 million. That's like when you look at the playoffs and you look at, hey, how are you going to win the Stanley Cup? You're better off having one goalie that plays pretty much every game in the playoffs and your backup never sees the ice. And for the Golden Knights right now, that would mean $5 million in Robin Leonard or $7 million in Marc-Andre Fleury never seeing the ice in the playoffs when in reality you could be using that salary cap space on somebody mm. that helps your third line. Trade them both and start Logan Thompson. I am okay with that. <laughs> Logan Thompson, his one game, he's got the best save percentage in the NHL this year. Well, I'll say this, and, it was, and we knew what it was probably 99%, but when Danks becomes the backup last night and Flurry's nowhere to be seen. I mean, a few, you know, a few of the Twitter fans and everything uh, started melting down. Some people thought he was traded oh, uh, and that he had been moved. <laughs> and it's like, okay, calm down. He's played like 90% of the games. The guy can have a night off with the family at this point, <laughs> you know? given, their, uh, given they'll be fine with the guy starting. So I don't think they would do that. You're always going to get the reason back. No, no, no. You need depth. What if something happens? Let me ask you this. I always kind of laugh at that. I mean, you don't want anyone getting hurt. And, by the way, they're going to have more evidence to this argument because Leonard's already been hurt this year. So they're going to say, well, you say that, but Leonard got hurt. But, let's be honest, in the course of a season, how often does the goalie get hurt? So I don't think they do what you're saying. But if they came back and said, well, we're protecting against injury, and why wouldn't you have a guy on the bench who could come right in and also be a number one goalie? That nine times out of ten, that's not going to matter, right? Because you're probably playing the same goalie in the playoffs anyway. Right, so especially it's not like those guys down a lot. Yeah, like regular season, whatever. But like playoffs, how often does the goalie get hurt? Now, yeah. Obviously, it happened to Colorado last year. Yeah. What did they lose two goalies or something right. like but, that? But right. but it's but it's that's why like, it's so rare. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's kind of like NFL quarterbacks, like. Obviously, if you lose your quarterback, it's a big deal, and your team is sure. screwed. Like, and and the Golden Knights are protecting against that at the moment. But your best chance to win the Stanley Cup is to have one goalie who who just stays healthy. Like the the injuries yeah. happen, sure, but you can survive. It's not crazy to think that one goalie can play the entire way and be healthy the entire time. They didn't have an injury in the playoffs last year. Like Robin Leonard didn't get hurt in the playoffs last no. season, so. Yeah, it's like, sure, in the regular season, you you'd want guys to be fresh and rotate, even though they didn't do that with Flurry for like 20 straight games. But once you get to the playoffs, which what we've been saying the entire regular season, they're making the playoffs, the regular season doesn't really matter, all that matters is what they do in the playoffs. You're, you can't really, you, if, you're, if your roster building strategy is, well, the goalie might get hurt, we need to make sure we're right. ready for that. That's what I'm saying, That's, right. 
that's a poor strategy. That's not going to maximize how good your team is. Like that is you're minimizing how good your team can be if that's one of your main priorities. And this just in, and I again, they're going to they throw back evidence. Look what happened with Flurry in Pittsburgh on their runs because he did this as well. But most of the time, I'll say this: if you're changing goalie in the goalies in the playoffs, you have much bigger problem than the goalies. Because yes, usually yes. you're going to ride a guy, and if you're winning, you're not taking him out in the playoffs because the whole thing, oh, he's in a rhythm now, and they're winning playoff games. If if you're changing Momentum. for a reason other than injury, you're down in the series, and you're and and some you know you you might be you know shortly out of the series, so that doesn't kind of hold water either. Where we need two goalies in case we need to replace them. Well, if you replace them, something's wrong. Uh, here's a tweet for you, Ed, from Jordan Goodrich. If it gives you any hope, look at the Blues' remaining schedule. 21 games left. 17 are against the Avalanche, Golden Knights, and Wild. Oh, wow. Well, here we go. Let's go Kings. I've got to get Arizona out of the way as well. That's true. There, there's another many... team in there that's yeah. a problem. Yeah. It's not don't, just don't know how many times we play them the rest of the way, but, you know, there is life. There is life. I, I, I'm excited. Even, you know, they can take the loss tomorrow night if that happens um, and, and still be within shouting distance of number four. Oh, the Blues are going to miss the playoffs, but it's not going to be the Kings that end up replacing them. All right, coming up next, we are going to get into the NCAA tournament because Ed's Baylor flag lives on to the Final Four. Alatiche turning, nowhere to go. Gives it up to Hunt, three, contested, banks it home! The bank is open, and the bank ties the game! And the Cougars claw their way to the Final Four for the first time since 1984. 67-61. Houston is back on the biggest stage. The Final Four sees a Cougar return this weekend with a six-point win over the Oregon State Beavers. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. Coming up in about 10 minutes, our soccer expert, Eric Winalda, will join the show. But we got two teams into the Final Four yesterday as Baylor and Houston won. Um, but before we get to Baylor and, and your glorious flag that almost ripped your entire house down, um, I want to say a thank you to Houston for beating Oregon State, knocking them out. Because I think Oregon State's the least compelling underdog we have ever seen in the history of sports. Can you think of one interesting thing about Oregon State? Uh, well, I've been to Corvallis, so I'm kind of cheating there, so no. <laughs> no, no, I mean the team that's playing. Not the, not the university or the city it's in. I was the team go with, that's oh. playing. I was going to go, oh. they aren't Oregon? So their uniforms well, are consistent? Yeah. Yeah, I only went there because I almost got driven off the road by a logger. It's the first time I've really driven next to a logger. Um, okay, hold no, on, not, hold on, hold on, hold on. Was it the logger's fault or was it your fault? Because your history implies it was your oh. fault. No way, it was the logger's fault because I was looking at the logs and I kind of try and I swerved over because I'd never really driven next to a logger. I'm like, boy, that's what, those are a lot of logs on that thing. And and I just started to swerve over and he started. And I'll tell you what, when loggers honk their horns, it'll deafen you. I mean, he scared the hell out of me. I thank God I didn't go into the other lane with oncoming traffic. You can't um, blame him. You cannot blame him if you swerved into him. <laughs> no. So we were like a mile outside of Corvallis, and I, that, that's really the only thing I remember about that, and I covered a game there. But, no, I mean, I get what you're saying. There wasn't 
I'm sure as the tournament went along, everyone like if you're Baylor watching that last night free play, like you know, come on Oregon State. I mean, yeah. which is funny because you just want keep people a bad team to keep winning, and they got this like magical run going on. So when they when Houston blew that 17 point lead. You're like, ah, do you really want to see this team in the Final Four? Well, if you're the team that wins the Baylor-Arkansas game, you do. <laughs> but no one else wants this to happen. Right. So just, just think about Oregon it's State. Loyola of Chicago. There was no right. sister Jean on the bench. Right. Yeah. There's, so they don't have any charm for being from a small conference, right? That doesn't right. exist, which, which most underdogs, it does. They don't even, they're not even good. They didn't even, like, play well. They just won a bunch of close games in the Pac-12 tournament and then they came to the NCAA tournament and every single team they played decided they were going to shoot 20% from three. Like at least UCLA, UCLA over there, they've beaten a couple of good teams on their way here by playing well, right? And UCLA has some players that you look at, whether it's Juzang or Jaquez, that you think are actually like good basketball players. I don't think Oregon State has a good basketball player on their team. I don't think they're any good. They don't have any noteworthy players. Like, Take Oral Roberts as an example, right? They've got Max Abesmith, who's out here pulling up for threes off pick and rolls near half court in the tournament. That's A, phenomenally fun to watch, and B, that guy is a player that you want to watch play. Oregon State doesn't have one, and the style of play, they play slow, they're like good defensively, but are horrible on the offensive end. Like They don't play a good style. None of their players are interesting. They're not from a small conference. They just sort of fumbled their way into the Elite Eight. They're the least compelling underdog I've ever seen, and I wanted nothing more than for them to lose yesterday because them in the Final Four would be boring. Like, what are the storylines going to be about Oregon State in the Final Four? Well, they're not really good at this sport, but they're here. We don't know any of their players because they're not any good at this sport, but they're here. Like, the most interesting thing the entire tournament at Oregon State is that they were picked 12th in the Pac-12, and their coach has that shirt that his wife made that says... 12 to 16 because they made it to the sweet 16 like it's i I, i'm i'm so happy they're eliminated because i did not want to have to sit through anything else about oregon state again well the funny thing was the ad yesterday and and this is what happens with coaches now he makes the run and good for him i i mean he seems like a nice guy but all of a sudden he's lined for a huge huge extension because he's won you know he's won three games um and the ad's like we're going to handle this off the season. I've told you time and time again, Wayne is our guy. I'm like, when's Wayne become your guy? He's picked up wealthy. And, and a missed free throw from, from UCLA, you're sitting at home. You're probably not even in the NIT with Boise and Colorado State. You lost to Portland and Wyoming. I love that. Like, that's what this tournament does. And I, hey, more power to him, how much money you can make. That's great for all these guys. I get it. But it's so funny, the power of this tournament how it changes perception of coaches and, and, you know, oh, God, he won three games. Who's coming after him? Like my son last night, Dad, who's hiring the Oral Roberts coach? I'm like, how do I know who's hiring the Oral Roberts coach? Yeah, but he made a run. Like, that's the perception. You make a run in the tournament, you're going to get a new job. And it happens for a lot of guys. I just thought it was funny yesterday because Tinko's been there for a while. He's been coaching, obviously, for a long time. Like, Wayne's our guy. I'm like, eh, I don't know if Wayne was your guy two weeks ago. But I guess he is now. Wayne Tinkle has in, what is this, seven seasons at Oregon State, has one year where he's finished above 500 in the Pac-12. One! Like, he's not not a good coach. They haven't been to the NCAA tournament. It was four, five years before this season. And now, they of course, they make the Elite Eight because they fumbled their way in. Like, I, least compelling underdog. Least compelling underdog. Okay, that, Jared is right. 
the most interesting thing about Oregon State is that their head coach's name is Wayne Tinkle. And yes. they played in Tinkle Fieldhouse. That is the yes. most interesting thing about Oregon State. And listen, you made my point, both of you did, by your what's interesting about Oregon State. Jared's argument is they're not Oregon, and Ed's argument is, well, I almost got run off the road by a logger <laughs> in four battles. He you didn't my point? almost get run off the road. He tried to run a logger That's off true. the That's road. Exactly. That's true. I, by the way, I'm glad when you told that story, you sounded like you were so mystified by logs being on the back of a truck that you couldn't drive straight. Well, I just had never driven one. I've driven through two things in my life. <laughs> driven through a tornado in Wisconsin and almost got hit by a logger. And after that, it's all, you know, it's all, it's all downhill from there. Wait a minute. What is your definition of driving through a tornado? Uh, on the freeway from Madison back to Milwaukee, and 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 the car in front of me had pack. They all have Packer flags, right? It's like my Baylor flag. You can't live there without a Packer flag. And these flags start whipping like crazy. And I'm, geez, I'm like, what, what's going on? I knew it was windy. You know, the car's kind of shaking. I look off to the left, and you can see the tunnel in a field. Like, you know, it was miles away. It wasn't like on top of you, but I actually saw the funnel, which was kind of cool. And man, I, I hit that gas, and I tried to get out of there as quickly as possible. So yeah. That and the loggers is pretty much my stories of driving on the road. Uh, okay. So growing up in the Midwest, I have driven while tornadoes have touched down multiple times. And every single time, you just find an underpass and you pull over. <laughs> I was in the middle Not of the it. freeway. I just kept going. I had to pick up my friend at the airport. His plane. <laughs> His plane was on time. I had to get to the I had to get back to Milwaukee. <laughs> Ed just keeps driving. It's like, why is that? Yes. Well, you a tornado has enough wind velocity to pick up a car. <laughs> not Ed's, uh, well, not if Ed's driving fast enough. He'll drive straight <laughs> through it. He's like, why is that tornado headed to the airport? Well, speaking of wind, fellas, I have not gone outside, but it's pretty much a 90% chance the Baylor flag is six houses down at this point because the wind to, last guys, night was whipping. Did you guys put it back up? Well, of course, Bonnie did. She fixed it. I know I had to do oh, that. Okay. She was in there okay. yesterday saying, I got to get longer screws. I got to do this and this. I looked at her. I said, well, it'll look good. And then she got it up. And <laughs> uh, like I said, it, it's going to be six houses down because the wind was way too much last night. Well, I don't understand. I like I know some seamstresses uh, and we, we could just get it made where it's like a, a full on like cape. And we'll get, you, like, <laughs> we'll get you like a tab where you can like, you know, you can snap it. And you could just wear it, like, you know, and run around the house. Oh, God. It wouldn't be me. It wouldn't be me wearing that thing. All right. Coming up next, Eric Winalda joins the show to break down the U.S. not qualifying for the Olympics. The expense of the U.S. That one is bashed sideways by Salcedo. Herrera had to be alert to it. Now Ochoa. And it's knocked off. Oh, my goodness. It's 2-0 Honduras. Luis Palma, former teammate of David Ochoa. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now is the press box soccer expert, Eric Winalda. Eric, how are you this morning? You don't actually regret coming on with us, do you? What's up, man? No, I'm, still, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm good on this end. I, you know, I'm, I like that intro. Like, you know, it's been a while since someone called me an expert at anything. So, <laughs> thanks for that. You're the only You're one we ever have on. We don't have many yeah. experts on. Yeah, we we don't have to pay you to say call you an expert, yeah. so we can call you an expert until you start <laughs> demanding money from us. Um, so, 
Eric, I'm curious. I, I know you told me yesterday that if I wanted to talk about the U.S. not making the Olympics, we don't have enough time in the show for that. Um, but what are your thoughts on why the U.S. can't ever go to the Olympics in soccer? Well, it's, it's look, here's the thing, guys. And, and I think when we failed to, to qualify for the World Cup, that was just inexcusable. That, that was a, a bigger problem. The problem with this, and the reason why everybody is so irate about it, it was completely unnecessary. Now, it, at, at some point, I realized that nobody was really going to say anything in the American media. I mean, whether that's 10 or 12, it doesn't matter. No one's really going to say what's really going on. So I started listening to the Spanish-speaking commentators, and they nailed it. They nailed it. They said America is ignorant and arrogant, and that's why they're not going to the Olympics. And the best part was because he started laughing, and he said, and I'm not going to start offering solutions to them. I want them to continue to fail. It's their problem. <laughs> Why should we care? And th- this is this is the part that when you watch the way that this this all played out, uh, from my I, I can look at it through several different lenses, right? So I, I I look at it as a coach. I look at it as an analyst, and just as a fan. And when you really know what's going on on the inside, it that's the part that that. You, you really get frustrated because some of the stuff, it's just not necessary for us to play that way. We played eight halves in this tournament, and I think we were only the better team in one of them, and that might have been against the Dominican Republic, which we're supposed to be. But the the, the truth is, is there's a lot going on on the political side that's hurting it, and it, it, really, uh, it really bit us in, in this scenario. Well, do, do you think, like you said, and, and what he said is America's arrogant, and we've heard that in the past about other sports with the Olympics and whatnot. What's the percentage of arrogance, and what is the percentage, like you said, inside the halls of U.S. soccer that it's just not that important to them, this this particular thing in terms of advancing to the Olympics? It would have been, this really would have been, and we all know the score here. We know how many how many guys we have under the age of 23. We know how the tournament works. Uh, we have and just an unbelievable squad if we wanted to do that. Um, it, the, the, the part of your, your question is valid because a lot of the information, whether you we're talking about Jason Christ as the coach or Greg Berhalter as the head coach of the national team, they really did a horrible job of coordinating what kind of team they, they could have put on the field. Now, is, is, that, a, is that a slag on the, on the, the guys that, that were a part of these academies and, uh, you know, participated in this competition. No, we, our job, our job is to win. And the, the, the bigger, more fundamental problem that this country has right now in this, this word development and all of these academies is we're doing a great job of teaching these kids how to play a bunch of meaningless games that have no relevance or repercussions whatsoever. And then we put them on the field and say, we need you to perform. And what happens is exactly what we get. We, we deserve this. So if you, and I'll give you a real quick story. This is just kind of funny, but it, and I'll leave the names out of it because that's not fair. But I have a really good friend who, and I'll, I'll leave his name out of it too, but he, he went to Europe because his son was 14 years old. And everybody in California said, hey, this guy's really good. This kid's good. He's really progressing. He's developing into a great soccer player. It just, by chance, he got relocated to Europe. And he thought, oh, this is, this is easy. I'll just integrate my son into the local club. So he showed up and he said, here, my son is here. He'd like to play for your team. The coach said, great. He gets to try out. And he said, oh, I'm sure he'll make the team. He's 
he's a really good player in California. And the coach said, no, he's got to try out. A week later, he came back and he's right in front of the kid with the dad standing right there. He said, your kid's not good enough. There's a couple other clubs that he can try out for, but he's not good enough for this club. So what did that dad do? What every American dad does. He gets his <laughs> wallet out and says, huh, well, can I, can I pay you to, to train my son to get better? Because maybe he's just not acclimated yet. So I'll pay you a couple thousand bucks, and, and then maybe he'll be better. And, and, and the guy looked at him, and he said, listen, you know, I've, I heard your son say he likes music. And yeah, you could pay me a couple thousand bucks to coach your kid over the next couple months. And yeah, I can take your money. But why don't you buy a piano? That's probably a better move. <laughs> now, that, that, uh. the reality is, guys, in the, in the United States, that's how it works. And here's the part that people don't understand. We are, we are actually allowing these people to pay their way into play. Now, whether they're going to get a college scholarship or uh, they, they love the game, it, that, that's irrelevant. Everywhere else in the world, that's not how it works. So what you are actually doing is when we have an actually very talented player who could play and aspire to be an Olympian or possibly play for the national team, he plays in these club teams, which are populated by dad's wallet, that kid is not actually getting adequate competition. So he's beating everybody up, and he's dribbling past all these players who have paid to be there who weren't good enough anyway. So then we put him on the field against a bunch of Hondurans, right? These kids are hungry, and they don't like us. And they don't have somebody to pick up their underwear when they throw it into the middle of their academy locker room to pick it up. They do their own laundry. They wash their own uniform. And when they come up against us, they are going to take advantage of every single part of that as motivation to take out a bunch of kids with a silver spoon in their mouth who when they take it out, they don't know how to eat. There's a big problem fundamentally in our country, and we got to fix it. So you at one point ran to be president for the U.S. Soccer Federation. What? How do you fix that? How do you fix the way our youth soccer is structured compared to the rest of the uh, world? Well, so there is, um, you know, to the, the way this used to work is the United States Soccer Federation ran what was called the Developmental Academy, which mm-hmm. were a complete disaster. They were a bunch of fabricated games with a bunch of the so-called best talented players Everybody's paying to be a part of that. They're, they're paying thousands of dollars uh, to travel, and they, it was a must-travel situation. They would only do these uh, uh, academy scenarios in MLS um, areas. So if you're not in or close to uh, a Major League Soccer venue, then, then you really are kind of in a situation where you're going to have to travel, and that costs money, and not everybody can do that. They figured out ways to... To, to fund it and whatnot, but now what has happened is MLS has kind of taken over that that uh, that piece, and they're calling it MLS Next. So they're encouraging all of these clubs to join MLS Next. So now what we have is a co-op. We have the old system has now now joined Major League Soccer and these academies, uh, which will be populated by kids who, um, for the most part, are, are recruited and found, and they will essentially. Um, not have to pay as much. They will go to those those academies and live there, and and that's that's a, that's a huge step in the right direction. But this is this would have been the idea. But the truth is, is we're we're far from that, and we still have way too many players uh, 
that are just simply not good enough. Erica, you obviously went this route because you played in college. And I, I correct me if I'm wrong, you have a very high recruit in your own family right now. And I've always heard, and it's I've heard it so much, it's almost cliche, Americans think wrong because mom and dad want the scholarship. It, like, over time, how much has that hurt? I don't want to say hurt because it's great that kids go to college, but how much has that hurt the development more so in where, how they do it in other countries? Well, it, look, it, you really know where that, that decision needs to be made in between the ages of 16 and 19. And this country can't do a better job of screwing it up. The problem with college is the fact that there's so many restrictions in NC2A. So if you actually go and play in college, you almost are signing a death warrant. You're sentenced to your own career. And the, the reason why I say that is because if you go to college at the age of 18 and 19, you're really only playing soccer two, three months out of the year. And all the rules are stacked against you that basically say that you're not allowed to, to convene. You're not allowed to play together because that would be it's a violation of the rules because you have a competitive advantage over somebody who lives in Minnesota, and, and they, they have bad weather, and the guys in California don't, so it's a right. uneven playing ground. So it, it becomes just an absolute mess. Um, it does hurt you going to college. And now what's happened uh, is that you know, I think we've really tried to locate where the, where the really real talented players are, and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Right? There's real money. Uh, if, if you if you achieve a professional contract, it's not the way it used to be. Where it was you know, the contract that I signed uh, with the United Soccer Federation for eighteen thousand dollars a year prorated when I signed it in March. Thanks. That's 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 really going to pay the bills. It's a lot different now uh, than it was then. But the these kids who are talented find their ways into the academies and eventually onto the Olympic uh, qualification field. Uh, I did want to ask you, Eric, what are you doing with Downtown Las Vegas Soccer Club now? Uh, downtown's been a, a part of me for a long time. That's Gary Sorsman and Roger Tabor. And uh, I, I I couldn't sit and not be involved I- anymore. And you know, I could sit here and complain about all the things I just stated, or I could do something about it. So I'm going to do something for the, the local talent here in Las Vegas. And downtown was just a the most logical choice, that I could get involved at the club level, roll up my sleeves a couple nights a week, probably four nights a week, uh, get out there with the kids and start teaching them the, the stuff that they're going to need uh, to aspire to be good players. <laughs> I hope I don't have to have any of those piano conversations. <laughs> I, like I, I can think the money, but I'm not, I'm not in this for the money. You guys know that. I, I, I came to Las Vegas a couple years ago to try and make the, the, the professional level better and that is no longer in existence we are now the uh, los angeles lights uh, they just come over here and play in our city uh, every once in a while so that 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 ship has sailed so i'm gonna i'm gonna do what i can to make things better here was i correct in saying there's a high level recruit in your house right now high levels of what a high level recruit in your house right now or am i mistaken about oh that? yeah so um, we're, we really are enjoying this little ride with my um, with my daughter uh, Tatum, who yeah. has um, ran an unbelievable. She got to play high school soccer, which anybody who's listening to this program knows what's happened in the last couple of years. The de- developmental academy prohibited anybody who was playing at a, at a high level club that, that was in a, a developmental a DA club. You couldn't play high school. They told the kids you're not allowed, or you'll be kicked out of the program. That has been scrapped, and so all these, these girls and boys, they get, to, they get to represent their high schools again, which I think is so great. And she's had an amazing start. She's got seven goals 
and six assists in her first four games. So that's saying something. She's um, <laughs> she's enjoying it more 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 important to me as her dad. Uh, I can tell that she's really enjoying playing for her school, and I've always can, you know maintained that that's a that's a huge part of of the fabric of who you become. And those opportunities to play with your friends, to play with your school, and to represent something bigger than yourself—that—that uh, that was always uh, something I believed in. I—I'd I, like—I haven't talked to uh, Jared and Tyler. I think they'll be for this. Can we please do a live press box show when there's home visits with coaches and see you ask the coaches questions? <laughs> because that would be an awesome live show. You know, it's always—I've I've done this before at the national coaches convention, and I—I. I, I do, I do have to preface everything that I say. Is that, look, you you may not be careful what you ask because you may not <laughs> like the answer. And if, if, so, I've done this before. We did this out in um, at a couple of the venues that they've had for the NT two A or the, or the uh, not the NT two A the uh, National Coaching Convention, and um, a lot of the the college coaches have questions that that I have to really just level with them. And it, it's always kind of, they come at the at the end of the seminar, whatever, they come up to me and just look <laughs> on their face like, I'm, I'm screwed, aren't I? I? I have no chance. I'm like, basically, uh, it's going to be hard. It's gonna be, just create quality people. Don't worry about the soccer. You're, you're, you're in college. Well, he is Eric Winalda, our soccer expert. Eric, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks, Eric. Right, I won't. I won't be waiting for the check in the mail. It's fine. I understand. Yeah. It's not coming. We barely get ours anymore. Believe me. Yeah, believe me. Yeah, it's not. We, lo- we, we love Eric, but uh, if he's waiting for. Thanks, Eric. If, we, if he's waiting for a check, he's got the wrong show. Oh. So back in, I think it was 2018, 17, he ran for the presidency of the U.S. Yes. Soccer Federation. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I, I, wish, I wish he would have gotten it. Oh, well, he would have been, been a lot more fun. Not only, I mean, not only a lot more fun, I think, you know, as as honest and forthright as he is, given what he said about kind of the insides and what goes on in there, he's probably too honest, which, you know, I mean, you know, that's, you know, I think it's hard that he plays ever the political side of things because he's going to tell you how it is. And usually when you get to those kind of levels and those kind of corporations, they kind of want people who are just going to go along and agree with a lot of things. So I remember when he was running, I talked to people, you know, who knew him really, really well in the media, and they said, oh, he'd be the perfect choice, but it won't happen because he's too honest, because they don't want someone to come in and say, this is what's wrong with everything. This is how you get better. They don't want that. I mean, not a lot of corporations want that. They just want you to say, hey, you got, you're doing a great job, and we'll fix these things over here, but everything's on course. He's not that guy, and, you know, it's it's too bad, but, you know, corporate America is, is going to look at someone who's that honest and brutal and say, well, you know, do we really want that? They should want it, and I think he should have gotten it, but when you're that honest about things, when you're that you know knowledge about things, that's usually not who they go with. All right, okay. here's your chance. Oh, oh go sorry. ahead, Jerry. No, I was just going to say, I am so glad that my mic wasn't on because when he said seven, what was it, seven goals and six assists, and I was like, yeah. oh, that's pretty good. And then he goes, four games. I literally said a curse word. <laughs> so like, pretty solid. It's soccer. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right, here's your chance. Two tickets to Calabunga Bay. If you want to go to Calabunga Bay, we got a couple of tickets. We're going to take caller number three at 702-364-1100, 702-364-1100. Two tickets to Calabunga Bay, caller number three at 702-364-1100. We had a great QB room. Like, man, we had a lot of fun together. Um, I, I always took it as a great responsibility to help 
help young guys help help the guys that were in our room. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. William Hill is giving you a free 50 bucks to bet. When you sign up for new mobile sports account, use the promo code GET50, that is G-E-T-5-0. And when you make a minimum $50 in sports bets, you'll get a free 50 bucks in your account from William Hill. So you get a free $50, and you can place your bet straight from your phone. It's Bet50, Get50 from William Hill. Just remember that promo code, Get50. For more details, visit WilliamHill.us. All right, yesterday uh, we discovered that Mike Trout's nickname is uh, Kingfish, even though it took us a few minutes to realize why he was called Kingfish. His last name is Trout. Uh, Jared today has the best fish names in baseball history. At least that's what I'm hoping he has. All right, you guys ready? Let's start it off. Left field. Not really, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Left field, Kevin Bass. Kevin Bass. Okay. That seems like just a, a solid fish name. Uh, uh, I feel like there, there, there's got to be a lot of basses, right? Yeah, but some of them might be pronounced bass. Okay. Kevin Bass. All right. Oyster Burns at shortstop. Oh, that's a great name. I have, oh, it's I a have, great name. I have... Uh, I have some information on Oyster Burns if you guys want it, or we can yes, do that later. Yes, yes. Oh, well, why wouldn't we want? Why yeah. wouldn't we want that? Go ahead. Okay. All right. So Oyster Burns, he played in the 1800s. Just so you know. Um, first off, for you, Ed, his uh, parents were Irish immigrants. Uh, so you're great, great, Oyster great Burns job. Um, yeah. He was nicknamed Oyster because he sold shellfish in the off season. Um, he was described as a loudmouth and having an irritating voice and personality. So, well, he was Irish, like, so he's, I mean, yeah, he's a lot like me as well. Um, okay. He was the first member of the Brooklyn Bridegrooms to hit for the cycle. He also led the National League in home runs in 1890, um, and he was a 300 hitter in his career. But more importantly, there's this fact on Oyster Burns from his Wikipedia page: in 1893, between games of a doubleheader. A teammate of Oyster Burns, Tom Daly, was sleeping in center field when Burns stabbed Daly with a penknife. Daly awoke and turned on the knife, leading to a severed tendon, which kept Daly out for two weeks. What? I haven't, I haven't even muted myself, and I can't even respond to that. What? So um, I just, uh, uh, he, was, he went on the two-week DL because he turned and, and, and the knife went in a little deeper. Yep, so don't sleep wow. in center field during or in wow. between doubleheaders well, with Oyster I mean, Burns on your team. Or exactly, I was going to say, don't sleep in center field with Oysters on the field. Like, I get yes. the, the, the 1800s were an absolute horror show. Like, <laughs> I get that because, obviously, Oregon Trail taught me that you could just die of dysentery at any moment. <laughs> but people were just out here stabbing people. And they were like, ha, 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 it's a practical joke. I stabbed yes. you. What? So, yeah, exactly. Oyster was what? Irish, loud, boisterous, not liked, and carrying around the knives. It's it's kind of a cliche. It, uh, <laughs> he fits right. He, he fits right in with all of that. So, Oyster seems like he he's part of the clan for sure. Uh, no no question. But he hit for the cycle, Ed. But he hit for the cycle. Exactly hit for the cycle. Uh, he better if he wasn't good. He would have like. What the- <laughs> Yeah. Right. Only good players were allowed to carry knives. Yeah, like if you imagine if you were bad and you were just carrying around a knife. <laughs> all right, do we want to get the rest of our fish team later in the show? Let's go, Jared. Oh, all right. Well, hold on, real quick. 
Right field, Tim Salmon. Oh, oh yeah, okay, Tim Salmon. Yeah, I remember him. Yes. Tim Salmon, okay. All right. I like how you pronounce that as though you're Jonathan yes. Abram on Hard Knocks. Yeah. But thought that was the joke, but okay. Okay. Oh, do you want me to keep listing them? We got like yes. 30 seconds. All well, right. that's why I asked you. Do you want to do it yeah, later yeah. in the show? Because we have 30 seconds to appreciate the fish names. Yeah, let's. I thought. I, yeah, let's. We'll, we'll do it later in the show. But also, right, give us give us one more. Give us one more, and then we'll do the other half of the starting position players. Lip Pike. What position does oh. Lip Pike play? Third base. Third base. Okay. All, right. All right. So we got Lip Pike and Oyster Burns on the left side of the infield. I can't wait oh. to find out. When did Lip Pike play? 